that averages out to about 58.5% of our total production. Yeah, I mean, Eastern, the, one of the things I learned out of this is Eastern Washington's endowment is only about $8 million. Can, can I tell you something that you'll absolutely love? Yeah, of course. Would you like to know what the Boise State oh, endowment Oh, I know is? theirs is, oh God, let me, isn't theirs at? It is less than half of Idaho, University of Idaho's endowment for BSU. According to 2019 stats, 115 million. Welcome back, Tribe from the North Brave and Bull, to the official unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the home of the Vandals on the Big Sky Podcast Network. You're listening to Tubbs at the Club. I'm your host, Chris Hammond, and I am joined by Brian Marceau. How you doing, Brian? Always doing well, Chris. Good. Always love. It. Always good to hear it. Always good to hear it. Uh, today we're going to be spotlighting a couple things. We're going to be spotlighting our wide receivers, what they're going to look like going into the 2020 season. We've also got uh, some other stuff to talk about. The basketball team's on fire. Eastern Washington just survived a scare. And all of that's going to be brought to you, as always, by Montucky Cold Snacks. Ain't nothing like cracking a Montucky Cold Snack, an ultra-refreshing light beer born in majestic big sky country. The best part is when you crack a snack, you're giving back. Montucky Cold Snacks donates 8% of all profits back to local causes. Even right here in Idaho, supporting organizations like the CW Hogs and the Idaho Food Bank. Yeehaw! That's freaking awesome. Montucky Cold Snacks, the Latin American lager for pow pow rippers, gator wranglers, pony riders, and badass do gooders. Visit MontuckyColdSnacks.com today to find out how to get your ass some snacks. All right, let's lead it off here, Brian, with the. Lo- the lowest news, I guess, or the, the easiest news to cover. We played Portland State this weekend. The men's team lost 90-69. to The women's team won 65-52. to uh, I don't have much to add on this other than uh, I was surprised the men's team lost by as much as they did, and I'm happy to see the women won. Yeah, uh, second it, of course. Uh, my real quick take is our, our men were just too far down at the end of the first half against Portland State. We talked about it multiple times. We essentially have one real offensive threat in Trayvon, and if he's not scoring 25 or more, it looks like we don't really have an offensive shot. We scored 26 points in the first half. We're down 19. That's essentially all she wrote, uh, which it's actually incredible that we were down by that much at the end of the first half because we shot 44% at the end. In the first half, we shot 44%, uh, but we were over 5 from 3, and Portland State... Well, they shot almost 55% in the first half. That was part of how we had the gap. Uh, but, you know, Trayvon had a solid game. This is just where we are. He can't have solid games. He has to have spectacular games. Otherwise, we just don't have enough. Talking about the uh, – so we'll move forward then on to the uh, worst half of the damn cup, Eastern Washington. Uh, we had the men's and women's team were able to upset – well, the men's team was able to upset. The women's team was able to take care of business against Eastern Washington and Cheney. Uh, on last Thursday, the men's team – Pulled out a squeaker, 74-71, but if you checked the score at halftime, that one, been, that one would have been a bit deceiving. The women's basketball team just, I mean, they stomped them. They're doing exactly what they're doing. They, I, I don't even think we call it a reload at this point. They haven't missed a step, and that's losing two of the all-time great players in Michaela Ferenz and Taylor Pierce. But that men's game, man, we blew 24 points at one point, and it came down to be a squeaker. I know you and I were both on here last week with Rusty from the Eagle Power Hour, the Eastern Washington affiliate of the Big Sky Podcast Network, talking about how uh, – I don't quite remember what you said, but I said they had, like, zero shot to win in my opinion. Rusty thought it was going to be, like, a 24-point win for Eastern Washington, and both of us said – well, he said that there's no way Idaho would blow them out. Well, they darn near did. They did their best to blow it. But, man, what an interesting game. One of the first games I've watched in a while from tip to, you know, buzzer. But what were what your takeaways? I mean, there's so much to take away from this game, from the big lead to playing on the road to literally almost giving it up. Man, uh, start again with Trayvon Allen just to be simple. 32 points on 23 shots. That's a real good game. Uh, also picked up 11 rebounds and had seven steals. So almost uh, a triple-double for, for Trayvon. Um, so that's phase one. Phase two, this game fit the profile of our other big sky wins against Sac State and Portland State, where we have to shoot around or over 50 percent 
We shot 48.65% against Eastern. They shot um, 30, sorry, I, I read the wrong one. We shot exactly 50% against Eastern. They shot 37.5% from the field. That was part of our advantage. We threw that advantage away by shooting 10 of 21 for the free throw line. That was part of how we let them get back in the game. Uh, even though Eastern certainly played better offensively in the second half, they did the first half. Uh, the part of why the score is as close as it was is we could have shut the door multiple times and just didn't at the foul line. Um, so big picture, we're taking any win we can at this point. So happy about the win, happy about Trayvon having a big game. Uh, but Jacob Davison and Mason Peeling on Eastern both scored 21 points, almost made it a game. Yeah, I mean, it was super entertaining. I, just, I We've had a couple games now, like with Montana, where we've been in the lead early and – we we give it up, and it seemed like that. And I, I think I made the parallel of saying it reminded me a whole lot of the football game where at halftime you're like, holy crap, we're like, this isn't even close. We're blowing these guys out. And then sure enough, Eastern just crawls back in, and it just felt like there wasn't enough time on the clock for them to pull out the win. But give them two, three more minutes for both football and basketball, and it felt like they would have pulled, pulled out the W. Instead, they're going home with the L intense game uh shout out to dallas hammer who was there wearing some tubs of the club apparel we love to see it if any of you any of the rest of you guys are going out there and uh, attending games in tubs of the tubs at the club apparel make sure you send us photos we love to see it um if you don't own tubs at the club apparel you can always go to teespring.com slash stores slash tubs at the club uh we've got a bunch of new stuff well we've got a bunch of stuff on there and some new stuff coming soon but yeah, uh, it was cool to see people out there repping Idaho in Cheney, especially wearing tubs of the club stuff. So huge shout out to Dallas Hammer, uh, and a huge shout out to the men's hoop team. This is proof of everything I think we've been saying for the past couple weeks that this team is a team nobody wants to see in Boise for a tournament game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the big thing for us is so I guess fans to me generalized takeaways. We're we're offensively moving further away from our floor that we showed last time against Montana State. We did against Southern Utah, Northern Colorado as well, scoring around 45, 50-ish points. And we do that, we're gonna get our asses kicked. We haven't done that for a while, but our offensive hard cap is 75 points. We we haven't beat that, so we have to keep the game. We have to play well on offense to get to the round 70, but when we do that, we also gotta play uh, well defensively. We did that against Eastern. Uh, we did not do that against Portland State. That's why we still scored round 70, but were killed against Portland State. But uh, Portland State, they're kind of weird in that they pay, play a faster pace, and apparently that was that was part of the problem. Um, you know, big picture, I think fans should be kind of happy in that. I think we're moving away from that 45-point floor, mm -hmm. uh, which means, like you'd said, uh, you know, Idaho could be a team people don't want to play. We're certainly looking better than Idaho State. I think if we can pick up one or two wins between now and the end of the season, it'll be important for us to try to not be the um, like thir the t 11 seed and have to play the five seed. If we can, if we can be a, um, uh, if we can be like a nine, eight or nine seed, that'll be that'll set up much better. Yeah, we got us. a couple. We got a couple weeks left to pull it off, but uh, you know, the real quick, the loss to Idaho was not Eastern Washington's worst concern, ironically, the next day after the game. As rumors started to circulate, I don't even know if you can call them rumors. They're not rumors. It's, it's a report developed from the faculty that Eastern Washington's faculty, mostly it sounds like they're STEM programs. Um, or, uh, maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, a professor seems to be the main cause on this, uh, this report to the Inlander out of Spokane, which is a little newspaper. They were suggesting cutting athletics or at least moving the athletics out of the D1 ranks to help uh, pump some more money back into the academic sides of Eastern Washington, which created quite the hoopla. It's been seen on USA Today, NBC, Pro Football Talk, US, uh, tons of different media outlets seem to have picked up this story after it went viral. And it was crazy the response time it took Eastern Washington to say this is not actually a real – like if you read it, you would pick up that it was one guy making suggestions. Not necessarily the whole faculty, but, man, this picked up some steam and got some people worried. I had people really chiming in from all over the big sky and from the Mountain West, from, you know, our friends down in Boise that were going, 
whoa, is Eastern really – because you hear Idaho is doing bad. If if they're going to national championships, where does that put Idaho? But, man, it was crazy to think that – I mean, it's ironic that, like, the day after they lose Idaho, all this news comes out. But it, it, real scare for Eastern Washington. Nothing's coming of it. But, I mean, what were your initial thoughts on the report? And, I mean, did you kind of, like me, see through it immediately and see it more as, like, a political po- ploy to get more funding to the academics? Yeah, I believe that was about it because I don't think anyone realistically thought they would truly do that um, outside of people really far away from the university who just think a report like this wouldn't exist if this wasn't on the table. Mm-hmm. As far as we know, it never was on the table at all. It was just a real bad headline for Eastern. Um, I don't know how much we want to go into the ins and outs of why I think it would just be an atrocious decision. But one thing that was covered on Tutel Nuanas this week, when you hear a report like that, you would think that must mean Eastern's athletic department is in some awful financial situation in terms of receiving, having to receive institutional report uh, support versus revenue from like ticket sales and sponsorships. But that's absolutely not the case. They're they're dead middle of the road. They receive a little a little bit more institutional funding than Idaho, but not that much. No, and certainly better than like Southern Utah. And, and a lot of that is because they don't have quite the booster. Uh, population that Idaho has, where the Vandal Scholarship Fund averages like five or six times the amount of donations that Eastern does. So, I mean, in a way, we don't have to subsidize it quite like Eastern does. And that's saying something, speaking of, we've had no success, really sustained success in the last 25 years. Yeah, I mean, Eastern, The one of the things I learned out of this is Eastern Washington's endowment is only about $8 million. Yes, which in retrospect, Idaho's is somewhere in the 350 or 400 range, correct? We can do some on-the-spot research real quick, I get that number. I had a report of it, but it was all 26 numbers. But uh, yeah, I believe at one point I did all the Western schools and their endowment numbers, and Eastern's was like embarrassingly the lowest of reported schools. So, you know, likes of like... Utah or BYU, some schools like that, they don't have to report because they're private. But I did do one of all the FCS, and you'd be surprised to find that other than the Pac-12 and you know your big, your Nebraska's, Colorado or Colorado's in the Pac-12, but you know your Nebraska's, some of those schools, Texas that are still considered west of the Mississippi. You'd be surprised to know that like Idaho has more than North Dakota State, South Dakota State. I believe they have more than Wyoming, uh, less than Utah State. But like you're right there in like the middle of the Mountain West which was impressive. And I believe the only school in the big sky that had more than us was either Cal Poly or UC Davis. Uh, we were like the second or third high. We were either second or third in the big sky, which was impressive. But, I mean, it just goes to show that Eastern's like below Idaho State, below, like, put it in perspective, I think Stanford had like $1.8 billion and Mon- uh, Eastern was sitting at like, yeah, $11 million or something like that in endowment. Yeah, so quick fact check based on 2018, University of Idaho's endowment, 281 million. 281. So I was a little off, but still uh, about 270 million more than Eastern. Can, can I tell you something that you'll absolutely love? Yeah, of course. Would you like to know what the Boise State oh, endowment is? Oh, I know theirs is. Oh, God. Let me. Isn't theirs at like 81 million? Okay, it's slightly better than that, but it is less than half of Ida, University of Idaho's endowment, BSU. According to 2019 stats, according to their website, $115 million. Yeah, theirs is growing, though. That's the scary part. They are going up, and we are going down. But we all believe in Chuck or, uh, in Scott Green. So Flip of the tongue there. But, yeah, no, we do believe in Scott Green. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, but I thought, yeah, great, great to see that about BSU. But circling back to Eastern, um, yeah, they do have, they do have real fundraising issues uh, that are, I think, kind of structural just to what Eastern Washington is. Yeah. Which I don't mean that as a put down. No. I mean, if your endowment's eight million dollars, um, raising funds for, let's say, a stadium project is, it's just going to be difficult. They probably have to find ways to be creative, and be real aggressive to get their. Um, accomplished alums involved, but hey, maybe Community best bonds. case scenario for Eastern, maybe a couple awful headlines like this and people like Cooper Cup um, yeah. decide they're going to step it up a little uh, bit. Sam McPherson immediately hit the Twitter saying like, "You, this is what we need. If this bothers you, donate." 
I mean, the fact that I've donated to their stadium renovation and some of their alumni has not should speak volumes right there. But I'm a man of my word, and I pay up my bets, especially when my bets are Idaho beating Eastern. But, yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things for, for Idaho. I view it as almost the opposite of what happened to us. You don't want to see Eastern fall behind. Um, they're very beneficial to us as a travel partner. They're a school that, as we say in the big sky, hopefully this grows into something big. So we ha we're advantageous to keep them afloat and prop them up. And right now when this, this stuff's happening, it's better to not be like a Boise State that just pushes them further further down like Boise State did to Idaho in football and really try to prop them up and realize that institutionally we'll be beneficial if we can keep a school like Eastern competitive. Because otherwise, we're going back to competing with Montana, Montana State. And I, I, we're too far behind to ever compete with that. So it's good to have Eastern propped up and all the big sky for that matter. Um, so I'm glad to see that Lynn Hickey put a stop to it. It took her 10 hours to make a response, but she put a stop to it. Uh, Lynn Hickey being the Eastern Athletic, uh, Eastern Eagles Athletic Director. But all in all, good thing that the Eagles won. They have it out there that because – they probably could use a little bit more education funding as their endowment numbers show. Um, but they're also a top-tier Division One FCS-level football or uh, yeah program, so not beneficial to get rid of them by any means. But, man, we've talked about our rivals quite a bit the last couple of weeks. We had like two or three weeks of Boise State. We had a week of Montana. We had now two weeks Eastern Washington. I think it's time to spotlight the University of Idaho football program. This was actually your idea, Brian. We have exactly starting today enough weeks to cover every single position group going into the spring game, and then we can have that way people kind of have an idea to look at in the spring game. So today we're going to be starting with wide receivers. One thing I just want to get out of the way really, really quick for everybody. This stuff is all subject to change. Lloyd Hightower at one point last year's stud, two, three years worth of stud corner, came in as a wide receiver. Spring ball and summer ball is going to shift a little bit of what we say. We're controlling the narrative into what to look for as we understand it into spring game. Now, we could show up at spring game and half these guys are on the defensive end of the ball or playing running back. So, heck, the way DJ Lee threw the ball to Hayden Hatton, maybe quarterback. So... Uh, we're going off what is happening today, February 18th. Things can change by the time April 17th roll around and definitely by the time Labor Day weekend rolls around and we have our opener against Western Washington. But starting into it, um, we're going to go – actually, I kind of want to cover – how would you like to do this format? I know I put bullet points on our outline that the people listening can't see, but I kind of want to kind of cover everything – like and then just run through everybody. So like start with maybe like who's gonna field Jeff Cotton or our projected starters or anything like that, and then we could run through people. Or do you think we got it right? Just run through everybody. I like the idea of setting the stage first okay. of where where we're actually at. Okay, we can set the stage. And uh, I have a pod dog tonight, so if everyone here's squeaking, she is not used to podcasts. So please ignore the squeaking if it starts to bother you. I will try to edit it out. All right, let's see here. So we are going to start with some wide receivers. So I had this as – I don't know if we want to go into stats or you want me just to run through who we have left. But I, I crunched some numbers. Obviously, the big replacement is going to be Jeff Cotton. We also lost Jonte Boston. Otherwise, deceivingly, we have actually have a lot of players returning. We have only two redshirt juniors. And we have two juniors coming in. They're both junior transfers. We have three redshirt sophomores, 10 sophomores, and two freshmen. So that's exciting if you really think about it, the fact that we have so many young guys, 10 sophomores, 13 if you include the redshirt sophomores coming back this year. So I'm going to start based on class and work our way down. Uh, the main thing to keep in mind when we're going through all this is we've lost about 58% of our reception production. We've lost 63.5% of our yards production. And we've lost 54% of our touchdown production going into this next season. That averages out to about 58.5% of our total production. And that's just wide receivers. That's not including Nick Romano or any of the tight ends catching balls out of the backfield. That's strictly wide receiver. So 
starting off with the junior, the guy who's probably most poised to be our number one going in next season, Cottrell Haywood, number seven. He's a six-foot redshirt junior. Last year, he had about 60 receptions for 570 yards, six touchdowns. Kind of put that in perspective, that was only one less touchdown than Jeff Cotton. He had a sneakily productive end zone um, season last year. Compared from 2019 to 2018, he did have 10 more receptions. Or sorry, nine more receptions and 80 more yards. So Cottrell Haywood actually took a step forward. Even though me watching the season, I thought Cottrell Haywood and Jeff Cotton were pretty neck and neck in 2018. And it felt like he definitely took a back seat in 2019. So it was impressive to see that he actually slightly had better numbers in the last year. Um, you have so it's a, to go on that real quick, Haywood was the number three player in the big sky in conference stats and receptions per game. Yeah. Which that to me, I, I agree with you. That felt like a kind of sneaky number three mm-hmm. uh, because his um, his yards per game, 60.7, obviously not bad at all. Uh, but when you compare it to Jeff Cotton in the season, Jeff Cotton had 117.5 yards per game in conference, um, you know, averaging about half that doesn't land the same way as if, you know, the two were a little bit closer. Uh, but, yeah, one of the things that we're going to be looking at is I think part of why this group is so interesting, Chris, is last year I don't think this is a problem because Jeff Cotton was just unguardable. Um we essentially had two wide receivers who caught a huge yes. majority of our passes. It, it, it's, and we'll roll through that and people will see. But, I mean, you're looking at the next wide receiver having eight catches last year compared to Cottrell's 60. And I actually don't have Cotton's numbers in front of me. But it was more. Uh, and he had more yards and more touchdowns. I mean, like I had pointed out here, he hit those higher numbers in 2019 compared to 2018 with Jeff Cotton having a career year, a a, a program year. And missing, he also missed one game. So that is a huge step forward. Now compared to, obviously, last 2018 was 11 games, so it's the same amount of stuff compared to what he did before. But uh, uh, Jeff Cotton really took a huge step forward that I think a lot of us actually thought was going to happen, but maybe not to the extent he did. Cottrell Haywood was the guy that when they both started in 2018, we were like, these two guys are two of the best one-two. I mean, other than... Probably Samori Torre and Sammy Akam, the best one-two duo in the big sky over the last two seasons. He's going to have to take a big step forward. We've got him for a couple more years, which will be nice. But uh, it's big shoes to fill, and he's the guy who's taking the most of it. So if anything, you got to expect the kind of attention that Cotton was getting to get shifted to him, which is why the next bit of this list is going to be so important. Is because I would expect Cottrell to actually have lower numbers next year. Just because after seeing Idaho be more of a one-receiver team last year, people are going to really focus on Cottrell and think that our game plan for Cottrell is going to be a lot like it was with um, Jeff Cotton. So question for you there. When you say lower, are you saying – because that, that can mean kind of two things. Do you mean like raw numbers? Do raw you think numbers. Haywood will Not probably production. have fewer receptions next year? Or yeah. do you think in relation to the huge jump people expect – yeah, he I probably won't. I that probably won't think I would expect his numbers to maintain probably similar. Okay. I wouldn't expect him to take the quite the jump that Jeff Cotton did. Um, I think production wise, he will be just as productive. I guess his numbers just might not reflect it. Like instead of being able to get 570 yards, he might be the kind of guy that only gets you know 60 receptions. He's probably going to draw so much of the defense that opens it up for some of these other guys. I don't expect our. In fact, if anything, I expect our passing numbers to go up for a multitude of reasons, but one of which is definitely that I think Cottrell and the way people are going to scheme us is that now they just need to focus on him. And I think as you guys will see as we go through this, we have a lot of talented wide receivers ready to step in, almost so much so that predicting who the starters are going to be is going to be hard. Uh, I think Cottrell will be productive. I just think his numbers won't reflect necessarily how important he is to the team this year, but luckily we'll have a senior year out of him. Uh, where hopefully a couple other guys, or at least by midseason, will have stepped up, and that will make it better for uh, Cottrell's numbers going into his senior year. But junior year will be taking a lot of the heat off of the rest of the wide receivers. Yeah, dude, no, no disagreement there at all. Uh, which you know what you're describing is part of why, to me, this is this is one of the kind of most fun groups to talk about. I mean, yeah, obviously, just position that. players kind of are easier to track than offensive linemen anyway. 
but I think we're we're just really going to see something different this next coming season. Yeah, and and it's important to like the wide receiver position is one of the most important positions for us to fill. So we figured it'd be a good one for us to spotlight, you know, in the beginning. So next up on this list is number eleven, DJ Lee, another redshirt junior, six foot. Uh, probably the guy that's most remembered for last season for throwing the Sports Center top ten play to Hayden Hatton on the double reverse pass or whatever it was against Wyoming. Had the by far the second most productive year, if you're not including Jonte Boston, who's left the team of returning players. Only eight receptions for 77 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, his 2019 numbers compared to his 2018 numbers were six less receptions, 122 less yards, and one less touchdown, as in he didn't score any touchdowns this year. But he also missed four games. But he's a guy who we've had high hopes for for a while. Uh, and probably a guy that you should expect to kind of take over Cottrell's role in the offense, where I think Cottrell's going to kind of move into being Jeff Cotton, and DJ Lee's going to move into being more Cottrell, more of the slot, sneaky, kind of gets the passes, hits a slant on five yards, takes it for 20, that kind of player. Uh, I, I, he's, he's a good player out of Portland, and I think he's going to be the kind of guy that hopefully can get us, get us going. Yeah, and he's one of man. He's one of the only guys we have uh, any sort of tape on. Now, just to be clear, we're talking about wide receivers and not including tight ends. That's correct. Correct. Yeah, tight ends will be its own separate category. So, all the numbers that I said that we have to replace production-wise is strictly out of the wide wide receiver position, not including running backs or tight ends. Okay. And surprisingly, for Idaho fullbacks, and I, I sorry, I misspoke. He's from Champaign, Illinois, not. Um, the other U of I, not uh, Portland. That's the Knoll brothers. And you don't consider Indiana one of the other U of I's either? No, they're IU. They make that clear. My bad. But, uh, yeah, so DJ Lee, sneakily probably a guy who should be getting more look, but I think just the way our offense worked last year was so Jeff Cotton. But DJ Lee is definitely a name. If you take anything away from this, well, you should already know Cottrell Haywood. If you don't, take that away. But DJ Lee is probably the most likely guy that next year you're going to be remembering him. He's the most poised. He's going to be one of the, the elder statesmen in the room. He has a lot of experience with us. He's kind of viewed as a locker room. He's been there. So I expect him to be the guy that takes a big leap. Expect those eight receptions, 77 yards, to maybe turn into, like, 58 receptions for, like, 470 to 500 yards. And I'm expecting to probably haul in four to five touchdowns next year. So he's he's a guy that you should expect way more out of than what he did in 2018 or 2019. Expect clo- even steps up from his 2018 numbers. But it goes to show that what he did missing four games – and still was our second highest guy, which then we get into a huge drop off of uh, returning talent. But I mean, do you remember anything specifically from DJ Lee, or do you have any predictions on kind of how he'll work out? Other man, other than the, the pass you referenced, I yeah. I don't because I mean the, the guy the guy had DJ Lee had eight total catches last year. You know, the next highest returner after that is Michael Noyle at three receptions mm-hmm. um you know if i if you were to say like hey this d out of dj lee versus michael noyle who would you expect I, i'd agree with you i'd expect dj lee is the guy who would probably um out of those two be more likely to have to be have a more active role that we'll see in the game uh the passing game um but i think we're we, have, we actually have a chance of some of our recruits, our underclassmen that are coming in, yes. making an impact in this position in a way that like a linebacker, a freshman linebacker recruit is barely going to see the field yeah. next year. But we're just so uh, wide receiver, no, we have real holes that some of these guys yeah. could step into. Yeah, I mean, other than for how much I've, I'm loving DJ Lee and projecting him to be the starter, by no means is he a pencil him in now guy. Uh, we have a lot of young guys coming in. The only guy you can count on to probably be in the you know the X Y Z position somewhere on the field for most of our sets is going to be Cottrell Haywood next year pending injury. But the one thing that I think helps DJ Lee, he was a former three year starting quarterback back in Illinois. Quarterbacks transition well to wide receivers. 
Uh, I mean, just look at Julian Edelman as an example in the NFL, but it's very common, and quarterbacks like the wide receivers that are former quarterbacks because they don't play like wide receivers. They play like quarterbacks. So instead of, like, a wide receiver knowing exactly what his route is, a former quarterback that's a wide receiver can kind of – they have that intuition of, like, okay, I should do a five-yard, you know, and five yards and then break on my route right here. But if I can get this corner to take, like, two extra steps before he turns his hips and maybe run seven yards and make my break, I'll turn him around and the quarterback should still be able to hit me. Like, they just – they function at a different level, I think, like, intuitively than just someone who's been trained on five-yard and out, you know, 15-yard and hook. So I I hope that's the way it is. We could be totally wrong, but DJ Lee has been – over the last three years, one of our more productive guys other than Jonte Boston. So I, I expect that to be similar. Well, what you described is something Vernon Adams talked about Cooper Cup mm-hmm. uh, doing, which is it has to do with the what you'd call, you know, in, in basketball, we always talk about like basketball intelligence or basketball smarts. That exists in football too. Yeah. Yep. Um, and this is where we'll probably start rolling through people a little quicker, just so you guys are familiar with their names. But – this is where the competition really opens up. That third major wide receiver spot, you know, three through four, three through five, and the five wide and four wide sets is really going to be open, including the slot, because um, there just hasn't been a lot of production. And I will say the one thing we're about to roll through right here, we're about to cover one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve guys that don't have a red shirt on them that all played less than four years last year. That bothers me. But like I said, things can change. They can play all the way through spring and all the way through summer before Paul has to decide to redshirt one of these guys. But I will say it, it definitely bothers me right now. I know it's just because of the way the system's set up. But, man, when I see some of these guys, like uh, where's a good one? Sean McCormick, who actually had two catches and played. Oh, he can't. He played in five games. But some of these guys you know, played in two games, three games, four games. It's like. But they only recorded one catch or no catch. It's like redshirt them. Why? Why are we? But I, I get it. They're waiting to see who can fill these spots going into the year. But one thing to think about because it caught my eye before I thought of it is that some of these guys you're gonna be like, wait, how are they a true sophomore? And they haven't played in four games, and we're not redshirting them. But to start, we're gonna talk about Michael Knoll, which we already kind of talked about. Five eight redshirt sophomore. He's the one out of Portland. Uh, last year, three receptions, 24 yards. He did miss four games. He has a younger brother on the team, which we'll get to a little bit later. They're a very athletic family from Portland. Uh, I would expect him to probably be the guy to pencil into that three spot. But like I said, that's going to be completely open. Do you have anything to add on, Michael? Uh, no, other than you know the same thing I think a lot of fans would have, which is we're excited about the recruits, but like – I'm not going to – we can't handicap this far away exactly like the no, number three receiver. But if you were to say a guy you hope would take the three spot, obviously the guy has been at the program for multiple years. Yeah, because everybody else, they're going to have their chance. But that being said, now if somebody wins it, none of us are going to complain about a guy winning it in spring ball or summer ball. Uh, we'll just be happy that they're you know here and ready to, to contribute and hopefully be a part of a successful season going forward. Which takes us to our next guy. Uh, this is where we're going to start rattling through him a little bit quicker because a lot of less. Jed My uh, Jed Byers? I thought it was Myers. No, it is Jed Byers. Uh, actually, a local kid out of Pullman. And I know what you're thinking. Pullman guy. This guy's just a feel-good story on the roster. He recorded one catch for four yards as a true sophomore, which is pretty – or, sorry, a redshirt sophomore. But uh, the important thing to remember is – he played in 11 games last year, probably because he already had the red shirt. Um, but he was a guy that they trusted to put in games and play. So another guy that has that experience. You'll also start to notice as this list goes on, we're not very tall at wide receiver, which is something that I'll cover later. But um, moving on to – and then if you have anything else going on, uh, Brian, feel free just to interrupt me on any of these guys. Otherwise, I'm just going to start rattling through them. Uh, then we have number 38, Hunter DeRise. He's 5'7", also a redshirt sophomore out of Driggs, Idaho. Played in two games last year, no stats, at least receiving stats. Some of these guys have some defensive and special team stuff. Um, number 10, 
Sean McCormick, 5'8", true sophomore, two receptions, 40 yards, played in five games. A guy who actually has another shot of really making it into the roster. It was a guy that last year as a true freshman, obviously is playing five games, got to see a lot of valuable time, especially with Jeff Cotton and Controls Haywood's injuries. Another guy out of, I believe it's Fallon, Nevada, that's expect to, if he's not starting, be a really key contributor, much like DJ Lee or Michael Knoll was past, like last year, but he's young. Uh, we haven't used a redshirt on him, so it might be one of those things where how do we feel about the classes coming in and if we should use it, but he might be one of those guys who's a four-year guy. Um, number 14, Kieran Beecham, 5'11 sophomore, no stats. Number 18, Caleb Covington, 5'8", sophomore, one game, no stats. Number three, 33, Michael Workman, 6'1", a little bit of height out of Spokane, no stats. Number 83, Booker Bush, 5'9", sophomore, out of Grangeville, so real local. Uh, two games last year, no stats. Number 84, Bryson Lee, 6'2", sophomore, no stats. That is DJ Lee's younger brother. Number 85, people that listened to the recruiting podcast last year will definitely remember us talking about Deseao Puffer. Deseao Puffer. I don't remember the pronounced correct pronunciation, but a 6'4 sophomore. I believe he was one of the kids out of Arizona. He played in four games last year. So still eligible for the redshirt. So if we were to slap a redshirt on him for last year, he would be coming into this year as a redshirt freshman. And we could use that little bit of six four because as we talked about, the two guys you expect to play in Cottrell, six foot, DJ Lee, six foot. So having a guy like six four and having DJ Lee play the slot would probably be beneficial for us. But we gotta see if they can play first. Number eighty seven, William Campbell, six foot sophomore out of Spokane, no stats. Number eighty nine, Alex Moore, six six sophomore, no stats. So as you can see, we had a lot of guys come in, a lot of walk on guys. If you listen to the recruit. Recruiting special last year. But this Alex Moore guy is a guy I'd really like to see take a step up. He's 6'6". That is something we haven't really had since uh, Eric Greenwood back in the late 2000s. And the way this lineup setting up, unless DeSeo uh, really steps up and becomes in the starting lineup, we're going to have nobody over the height of six foot. We're going to have my – as I'll get in my projected, we're going to be looking at – Everybody being six foot or shorter in my projected starting lineup. So this is a guy that I'm really rooting for because you, you kind of have to have that size. You got to have the guy who can go up and get the 50-50 ball. And I know that Cottrell Haywood and Jeff Cotton both played bigger than they were, but you don't want a team full of guys who play bigger than they are. At some point, you want the six six guy you can lob it to in the corner of the end zone like Eric Greenwood and win some games. Um, out of everybody well, I just covered. In addition to that yeah. too, it, this just because these big our wide receivers are going against against the big sky corners. There's not an army of like six three corners in the big sky. Not a bunch of Brandon so, Browners. Exactly. So if we can get a receiver with some height, it's one of those situations where look, a guy can be really well covered, but he he gets catch anyway because yeah. he, he is taller than the five nine corner that's on him. Yep. Um. Uh, everybody I just said that's spoken on the team before we get into re incoming recruits. Is there anybody that you kind of want to cover a little bit more in depth before we kind of break down what we want to see from people here a little bit later? Uh, no, no one specifically on that list because it's a ton of people. We haven't seen enough to speculate. So I'll just stats. say <laughs> I I am always excited for the brother storylines to, to work out. Yeah. So – if I'm rooting for them all, but let's say I'm really rooting for Bryson Lee. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I would love to see Lee. And let's be honest, I doubt he keeps number 84 after spring ball. They, they just seem, if they're both, well, I guess he actually used to play. Once again, I don't have the, the story up anymore, so I'm going strictly off memory. He always played wide receiver until DJ left, I believe. So he always used to catch balls from DJ. So he's a little bit more of the wide receiver, and you can see that in the height with 6'2". So it w I just don't think number 84 is a number he'll keep. He strikes me as one of those teens or a single-digit guy. But I you noticed that, like, Michael Workman, number 33. I love it, but, like, how do you end up with 33 as a wide receiver? So uh, I, I love the name. I like a guy I'm rooting for. Michael Workman from Spokane, 6'1", number 33. 
I hope he becomes our Max Komar. Like, I do. But rolling into recruits, which this is a very unique position we're in, and we'll cover it a little bit more in detail later, but a lot of these guys have a real shot of starting right away. Starting with Noah Ormsby, 6-1 freshman out of McCall, Idaho, so a Vandal becoming a Vandal. Mo, we'll just look at his senior year real quick. He had 44 catches. That's not that impressive. Oh, but he had 1,171 yards. That's pretty impressive. Oh, you know who had a little bit more yards than him in college? Jeff Cotton in his senior year. But you know what? Jeff Cotton had seven touchdown catches. Noah Ormsby last year had 21 touchdown passes. That means he was either three dropped passes or three more touchdowns away, or sorry, one dropped, three drop passes or one more touchdown away from having every second catch he caught being a touchdown. He is an absolute red zone threat and a guy you can root for because he's local, he's a vandal, and I, I mean, a guy I'm totally rooting for to try to break into this lineup. Yeah, dude, no question. One of the things that we have heard lots of people talk about wanting our team to have some Idaho guys that that become, you know, some of the faces, the face of Vandal football over the next few years. Some people believing that um, the move to the big sky might make that easier. Uh, yeah. No, Noah's a real candidate to be one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, the other one, another brother connection, Tommy McCormick, six, one freshman. Uh, he had a little bit more catches than Noah, 58 receptions, 929 yards, so didn't quite break the 1,000-yard mark, but also put up an impressive 15 touchdowns. Now, in high school, I know it's a lot easier to put up a lot of touchdowns because most teams have one guy, where in college you have, I mean, as we're about to discuss, 40 guys. I don't know how many guys we listed, 20 at least. Um, so this is another guy that you look at and you go, as a young guy, I don't know if he'll start but expect him to play a similar role to what his brother did in Sean playing, you know, two to three. Well, Sean played in five, you know, a, a handful of games and be able to get the ball one or two times. Like this team's not going to be, at, I think it's going to be more share the wealth than it was with Cotton and Haywood. So expect Tommy to be able to get some serious minutes as a freshman. Now, do I see him being an immediate contributor where, He's the go-to guy on, you know, a two-point conversion or times one and running down in the 0-9 humanitarian bowl and you got to throw a pass to a sliding wide receiver? No, not yet. But a guy that we can definitely work on. And the McCormicks, it's just – they I believe they have, like, one or two more brothers too. We're just keeping the family thing alive. And getting them early playing time will just benefit us getting the other two. Yeah, I mean, I'm all with you on that. Um Again, one of the things that makes that is unique about the Vandal teams is how many brothers we've seen come through. And whenever those brother stories work out, it's the kind of human interest story that one you can explain in two seconds, mm -hmm. um, which I like, so I don't need to listen to like five minutes of explanation. But two, I mean, I, I think a lot of people like the idea of kind of legacy players. Yes, I agree. And I'm one of those guys. Yeah. So now we're going to move into uh, our transfers, starting with Jermaine, Jermaine, yeah, Jermaine Jackson, 5'7", junior, out of College of San Mateo, 47 receptions, 622 yards, five touchdowns in 2019. Once again, you can see the difference between somebody in junior college, where those are impressive numbers. Still had more catches than Noah, slightly less than uh, McCormick, had less yards than both of them, but five touchdowns, way more relatable numbers because they're playing better talent and he was probably on a team I didn't look it up but of other guys that got D1 offers so he wasn't the only guy on that team but still was able to put up a respectable 47 receptions which would have been good for third on our team last year ahead of DJ Lee that's um, remember how much production we're trying to replace this year yeah, no, you you circled back to the point of it's always hard for recruits to project because, you know, like we talked about with Noah Ormsby, uh, just wild high school stats. But that's also, of course, within the subtext of like 
how how much of that was that he was just a different class of athlete yeah, that he was McCall, playing. I believe McCall um, is – they might be one. They're not eight-man, I don't think. But they're – no offense to McCall, but they're small-level football in the state of Idaho. They're not 4A, I don't believe. They're definitely not 5A. So, yeah, if you get a, qual a D1 quality athlete, like just look at what uh, Leighton Vander Esch did to kids at Riggins. Like sometimes it's not – it's why all these kids in Fruitland end up going to Boise State because they just put up these godly numbers against these just poor <laughs> – just kids that are just in it for the love of football but just necessarily aren't gifted with the same traits that some of these guys are – are and Noah's one of those examples you don't usually see out of McCall like I said you usually see it out of the likes of like Fruitland or Riggins or like a Homedale but Highlands out in Pocatello but you're not seeing it usually from McCall which is good to see because I I've grown up my dad always said McCall was the turning point of the state um, you usually get to McCall and that's where all the Bronco stuff starts to fade and just about everything north of McCall or North Meadow or and McCall and New Meadows is strictly Vandals. And so it's good to see that if we can get a McCall kid, maybe we're pushing that boundary line just a little bit more back down to Cascade being the turning point. Hopefully we can keep some of those McCall Vandals Vandals. But um, So I'm really excited for Noah. But to get to the original point we're talking about, you can kind of see the yeah what you're saying, the, the difference in numbers between a college guy and a high school guy, especially when the high school guy is in – a division that he probably has no business being in because he's just so much bigger and better and faster. Yeah, absolutely. And a guy like Jermaine Jackson, um, he's produced against other college athletes. So it's just a, another level of competition that we can say, okay, we feel stable about this guy being a potential contributor. Yeah. Um, last guy, guy we're just super stoked about, I think all about throughout the program. Chauncey Smart, 5'8 junior, former track star from the University of Miami, uh, was recruited by Paul Petrino originally out of high school. He had committed to USF. We've covered the story a million times. He's not going to listen. The only weird caveat here is I'm not sure how much wide receiver he's going to play. He's going to be a weapon. They've talked about wildcat quarterback. They've talked about running back. And then you obviously have to assume at 5'8", he's and a track star. Wide receiver seems like the best fit. But I believe he played DB in high school and running back. So we'll see where Paul puts him. But this is one of those guys to definitely keep an eye on going into spring ball. Because we don't even know where he's going to play. He could fit into so many spots. Like, obviously, we want to speed an offense. And whether he ends up playing on offense or not, like, full-time, he will get offensive snaps. He'll be a Troy Taylor – or a Troy Taylor, Troy Anderson, where even if – they move him back to linebacker. He's going to have sets where he comes. Ex expect him more to be like a Travis Johnson when we're really covering Montana State here. But just a guy, a Jerry Louis McGee type where it's just get the ball in his hands. He's magic. Yeah, he's the story. So of all the players we have, he's the story that I think it's easiest to fall in love with and immediately say, hey, this is our next number two or three receiver. Uh, but you brought up real good points that – one, he is a the athleticism we we should be excited about, uh, but he'll it we'll have to see what his role gets refined to before we too get too giddy about penciling in in as a number two or three receiver receiver. It, it part of the big deal about Chauncey Smart too is just that he he's a big name, particularly real in relation to Idaho. Yeah. I mean, he's verified on Twitter. Neither of us are that. Nobody we know is that. The only guy I know who's verified on Twitter is Chauncey Smart. <laughs> yeah, exactly, which is part of why, to me, like, it's so easy to be like, oh, well, dude, he's a star. Well, like, um, okay, he has the athletic potential to be a star, but, but let's see him actually get years, on the field first. So we'll see. And like we said, he could be a star wide receiver, but he could be, you know, an All-American at running back or a draft prospect at corner. So, penciling him in at wide receiver just doesn't make sense yet. But obviously, the guy that is going to be the most exciting to watch going into spring ball. Because, man, if we have him wide receiver, we're set. Like, he is a plug and play player. It's just, where are we going to plug and play him? He has the athletic ability. He could have gone. I mean, people don't remember. This was when USF was, like, good. This is coming off, like, 
Well, not quite B.J. Daniels, but like Quentin Flowers years. Like they were good. They weren't trash when they were recruiting. In fact, I think it was still Charlie Strong. So like he was recruited by a good D1 program and chose them and then decided, I want to run track at Miami and we didn't fail at it. He just got tired of track. So just, just a solid get. Solid get. I'm extremely happy, and he's definitely the guy I'm probably the most excited um, to see going into next year. Which, and you brought up a good point that I don't want to step on the future uh, position group. Mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't turn out to be a wide receiver. Oh, we'll cover him in the others. Yeah, the like we really have need. At, in the secondary yes we do that's another but, spot where he could be incredibly useful so even if this guy isn't getting 40 receptions or something like that there's a lot of places that an athlete of his level could have an impact yeah. for our team and, and paul petrino is not a guy afraid of having somebody play both ways look at Caden ellis playing a little bit of tight end and even a little bit of running back um god was it i guess Corey tumor wasn't him but Corey tumor played a little bit of running back and uh was it uh, Tepamamo, who got to play a little bit of fullback for a couple years, like we, he is taking a D lineman, put him at fullback. He's had a linebacker, put him at tight end. Like Paul is not afraid to be like, if you're a player, I will put you on both sides of the ball, and I will have plays for you. And that's what it sounds like Chauncey Smart's going to be. Now, another guy which I didn't actually include on this list is a Noseworthy out of Quarter Lane, but it definitely sounds like they're more leaning towards defense for him. But there is an outside chance he plays wide receiver. But I just didn't include him in the list because it's already a pretty big list. And we seem like we have guys that are poised for it. Whereas we'll cover in the defensive room. Spoiler alert, there might be a little bit more question marks heading into spring. Now hopefully those all get shirt up. And maybe they're all shirt up and knows where they ends up being the guy that we didn't cover who does fit on this list. But um, wide receiver... We'll move into the talking parts really quick because I know we're trying to keep this podcast at a certain length tonight. Who we seem like there's a ton of guys ready to fill any bit of shoes. Who, though, is most poised to fill Jeff Cotton's shoes, in your opinion? Because that's a lot. Like, I covered. Just to go over the numbers one more time for people that don't want to rewind. The only wide receivers we're really missing from last year in wide receiver production. Well, actually, the only two. Jeff Cotton, to be frank, and Jonte Boston. Jeff Cotton and Jonte Boston. We lost 58% uh, of our receptions. We lost 63.5% of our yards. And we lost 54% of our touchdowns. That averages out to be we lost about 58.5% of our production last year from two guys. Only two guys. And we have, gosh, 20 dudes pretty much. 10, 15, 17, 19, 21. We have 21 guys going into this year that could play wide receiver. So, who is best filled to fill Jeff Cotton's shoes? Is it one guy? I don't think it's one guy. Um, I think if we have a guy fill Jeff Cotton's shoes, what's going to happen is Cottrell Haywood is going to pop in a way that we both have faith in Cottrell Haywood. He is a good player. Uh, But being a good player and being an All-American are two very different questions. Um, If if someone's going to really – if one single player takes over, I think it's going to be Cottrell Haywood. Uh, but I think a safer gamble is that what's going to happen is we're going to see, we're just going to see the ball get spread out a little bit more than it than it has over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think people that's that you hit the main point there is this is not going to be a Jeff Cotton was so once in every blue moon type of wide receiver for us and the way our offense functioned around him. I mean, you think I I covered it and I I got some flack online for this from people that I'll name and people that I won't name that uh, when I said that when we're talking about is Jeff Cotton the best wide receiver to ever come through Idaho. And I still stand by this, that we've had a lot of surprisingly good wide receivers. Max Komar played three or four years in the NFL. Max Komar was a walk-on freshman. Uh, Honestly, one of the most pro-ready guys, if you could get his mind together, was Preston Davis. Preston Davis is one of the best wide receivers we've ever had. Uh, you can't di- discount Deion Watson. Like I know he's shifted back and forth between wide receiver and tight end, but I mean we've had serious wide receivers. Uh, Ruben, or not Ruben Moella, but uh, who was the Josh McCain? A guy that got NFL looks. 
Like, we, we've had good wide receivers. Now, that being said, Jeff Cotton, as the season went on, moved up. I don't know if I quite will put him past Max Komar. But I, I view him as what Preston Davis – where Preston Davis, un, like, underachieved, Jeff Cotton overachieved. And I don't know if we'll see that through anybody else. But if we do, I think Cottrell Haywood is pay, poised for it. Cottrell Haywood and Jeff Cotton in 2018 were not super different. And I think that now that Jeff Cotton's gone, if Cottrell Haywood can stay healthy, expect Cottrell Haywood to take a jump forward. Yeah, that and the other thing that we have to just, just touch on for a second, and we're not going to live there. I think it's safe to say that a guy like Cottrell Haywood has a chance to have his yards per reception make a bit of a jump when there's an arm throwing the ball to him. True. Which was always weird because I, I remember going into 2018 or going into 2019, what I touched on was I thought Mason and Cottrell had a better relationship on the field. Obviously, I don't know anything off the field. But it seemed like those two connected more on the field than Cotton. It seemed like Cotton gelled better with uh, Colton Richardson. So it was interesting to see Jeff take such a jump forward. And obviously, we'd love to see that from Cottrell, but I think we nailed it. I don't think you can expect really anybody to take that big of a jump forward as they did um, last year. So I know we're coming up on time. Let's try to fit this in. Um, have you had time to kind of look at who your projected starters are? Maybe I know it's way too early to really project the season starters, but maybe who you expect to see roll out uh, spring game. I mean, no, let's let's go game one because some of these guys won't be here spring game like some of the freshmen. Uh, game one, I'm going to say, so obviously Cottrell, I'm then going to say it's, uh, DJ Lee and my surprise is going to be Jermaine Jackson as either Jermaine Jackson or Chauncey Smart as the number three. Yeah, I'm my one, obviously Cottrell Haywood, um, after that, I'm going DJ Lee. My slot guy is Chauncey Smart, Jermaine Jackson, or Sean McCormick. I think it's going to 100% come down to a, a competition between those guys. And then, like I said, the two other guys I expect, I think all three of those, Chauncey Smart, Jermaine Jackson, and Sean McCormick, to have serious like roles in the offense. But I expect also Bryson Lee and Jaseo Puffer to get solid snaps going into next year. Is there anybody you're most excited to see? One, Chauncey Smart, just to see what happens. And two, I'm going to say a, a mix of when I'm like when I'm at the spring game, I'm definitely going to be seeing okay our height of uh, Bryson Lee, Alex Moore, and. Uh, number 85, his last name is Puffer. We've gone over how we don't know how to pronounce his first name. Um, <laughs> I've tried. Those, those three are the, the guys I'll be watching the spring game to see which you know which team they're taking snaps with. Because like you talked about, we have a lot of shorter receivers. Um, is Can we get one guy who's a little bit taller to be amongst our top group? Yeah. Uh, Alex Moore, for sure. I think there's a reason we brought him in, and it's the height. Because that's my biggest concern going into this year right now is, man, they just look so short. And as a short person, I hate saying that. But like I said, I'm rooting for Michael Workman. Um, I think another guy to keep in mind is Caleb Covington. I remember covering him a lot last year during the recruiting podcast. So I, that's a guy I expect. And then I, I think we'd be remiss if we don't cover Michael Knoll or Jed Byers. They're two guys that got a lot of time last year. Noel playing in eight games. Jed Byers playing in 11. They're both redshirt sophomores, so there's no reason to redshirt them. So expect that to be one of the reasons. The rest of these guys are redshirtable. So if you don't think they're going to get time, you know they'll probably get their one or two games, three, four games that they're allowed by the NCAA now. You don't get that with Jed, and you don't get that with Michael. So those are two guys I expect to be major contributors as well that I didn't list in my projected starters. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, I mean, Karen Beecham and Caleb Covington, I expect to take a couple steps forward. Um, I will say, as far as we're in need for wide receivers going into next year, I feel like we have the guys. 
Like, I actually think we have a pretty deep wide receiver room. It almost to the point where, like I said, it's going to be really hard to decide. I mean, I think you can pencil in Cottrell Haywood 100% starting. DJ Lee is 90 to 95, uh, 85% to 95% probably going to be your number two. And then, man, number three is pretty much a toss-up. And then you think about four and five wide sets. I mean, we'll cover some tight ends next week, but there were some serious dudes. Like, we're set between Bush and Lee. Uh, Covington, work. Oh, I don't know about Workman. I'm wor I'm rooting for him, but I actually have no idea anything about him. Um, Campbell and Moore, those are all guys. And then you include Ormsby, who I actually think has a legit shot to play as a true freshman. Tommy McCormick will probably stay around those two to three games and then probably redshirt. And then Jermaine Jackson and Chauncey Smart can be immediate contributors. Like, we're, we're pretty set at wide receiver. We should feel lucky. Yeah, I think so, and I also think fans could keep should keep in mind because this is always in context who, who they're going to be playing. A handful of teams are losing some wide receiver talent. Like Montana, probably on paper has the best wide receiving group yeah, returning. Uh, they do lose their all-time leader in receptions. Um, Montana State now they're hard to gauge with how good receivers are based off of receptions because last year they had no quarterback, but they're losing their bet. They lost their best receiver in Travis Johnson. Cal Poly loses J.J. Koski. Idaho State lost Mitch Guller. A lot of teams are losing guys just like we lost Jeff Cotton. Uh, so this could be a, just a really big reshuffling year for some of the league's best wide receivers. Yeah. How much time you got? I uh, got a minute. Got, yeah, we got a we got a few. Uh, we got I got to move pretty quick. All right. Well, we can move quick. <clears throat> All right, so I think that kind of covers just about everything. I mean, we covered – we ran through everybody. We said who's best fit to fill Jeff Cotton's shoes, our projected starters, the newcomers we're most excited for. Um, one thing I just want to cover real quick is a cool new podcast called The Streak. For those of you that don't know – and I'm forgetting the guy's name, but we're in a rush here to get this podcast done for you guys. But anyways, uh, a podcast I've multiple times cited called Podcast Ain't Played Nobody, PAPN. Give it a follow. It's by SB Nation. But they covered from their one of their editors a story that they're working on about a former Idaho Vandal football player. And this is a national media brand, guys. This is uh, uh, SB Nation and the Banner Society covers a former Idaho player, a Tom Cable recruit, who actually robbed a armored truck and fled floating down a river. Now, they talk about it on PAPN. You can download the podcast everywhere that you find our podcasts. So Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, everything like that. It's called The Sneak. Uh, that's The Sneak, S-N-E-A-K. -E um, and they interview the player. He's out of jail now. He was a real estate agent. It's uh, like a 12-part true crime documentary series. So if you're bored, 100% do The Sneak and then retweet it and share it and let them know. And US, it's by US Today uh, and SB Nation know that you heard it from Tubbs at the Club because – Hopefully, we can get some stuff going with them. But I highly recommend it. It's not often we hit national media attention. Usually, we hope it for better things than a guy who robbed an armored truck and created quite the – they call them DB Tuber for everybody that's wondering. So, um, check that out. Um, I already kind of plugged this earlier, but uh, teespring.com slash store slash tub dash at dash the dash club. Go check out our merchandise. We just dropped new merchandise today. FCSer and FBSer shirts, and we're advertising those because April 17th, we have our FCS versus FBS airing of the dirty laundry, hopefully at a location to be determined of everything pro FBS, pro FCS. We're all going to talk multiple angles. We're going to have so many people there, uh, a couple guests, the whole TATC team except Sean. We're expecting a remote. Um, so we thought it'd be kind of cool. If we sold FCS and FBS or shirts, so you could kind of get a gauge. Um, and just so you know, these shirts are actually being sold at no cost. So we don't make any money off of them. They're strictly to kind of have you guys have some fun with it. I think the FBSers are black and the FCSers are gold, but don't order the whites. That's all I'll say because they don't actually work because the font. But so check out teespring.com slash store slash tubs at the club and maybe we'll let you guys know which shirt was bought more 
when the podcast finally drops on April 17th live, which is why we've been testing all our YouTube stuff. Next week, we're doing our position spotlight series on the tight ends. So Hayden Hatton, da-na-na, da-na-na. Uh, make sure, you know, share this podcast. We don't ask that enough. If all of you share it with one more Vandal going into football season, especially with the way we're covering this, we'll have a smarter fan base. We'll have a more enthusiastic fan base. And, well, it's just good for everybody because uh, we, we need to get the Vandals back on board. We've lost a lot with the FBS, FCS stuff. So please share with at least one person. Find your favorite episode and share them with that. It doesn't have to be this one. Make sure you follow us on the Big Sky Podcast Network. That's at Big Sky Podcast on social media to follow all the BSPN developments and to receive the content as they go throughout the season. I have two articles out, one on tubsattheclub.com, one on FCS Fans Nation. So make sure you go check those out. It's about fixing Idaho's schedule and projecting the Root Sports games next year. Brian, what do you have going on in your life and how can the people find you? As always, on Twitter, at Brian Marceau, that's M-A-R-C-E-A-U. Two quick plugs, season tickets for the 2020 Idaho Vandals football season are officially on sale. Section Five. 4, row, or seat 8, row, front, seats 18, 19. I got neighbors if you need them. Oh, yeah, and it's uh, it's it's five home games, so so if you look at, like, general admission, it's a hundred dollars for five games. That's twenty bucks a game. Really, not a big deal, and also just cheaper per game to buy them as season tickets versus buying individual tickets. So, but I will say, ticket office. I've got news for you. Wide receivers took a lot of time. Tight ends won't. I have a bone to pick with the season tickets. So, stay tuned next week for that episode. Anyways, Brian, how can they find you on the social media? Twitter. Is the big one at Brian Marceau. Last thing, I'm going to be recording with uh, Eagles Power Hour to fully flush out uh, how how dumb the Eastern Washington story was we about more, you know but... trying to the one professor trying to get the athletic department canceled to yeah. kill football. Uh, we chose to not go that deep in this because we're not an Eastern Washington podcast. But if you're interested in it, because it's Big Sky. Just, ch- just check out Eagle Power Hour. We we try to plug all of our Big Sky Podcast Network cohorts. So, uh, yeah, check them out. Anyways, you know what else somebody's the best at? Being the best band in all the land. The sound of Idaho to play us out. That's a quick-ass podcast. Go Vandals. Go Vandals.